0: Good morning, we are in a series called Listen Up Church because we believe that God has a message for the church and we're in Revelation chapter 2 so if you have your Bible, if you have your phone, your iPad it'll also be on the screen behind me Um, let's get ready to look at Revelation chapter 2 now some people are coming around with can I have one? I want to see what they are Brooke can I have one? Can I see what they are? Maybe I'll, maybe I'll use one. So this is a, f- a fifth Sunday of the month, so we have our kids with us. Whoop, whoop. Okay, I'm going to try that again. It's fifth Sunday. We have our kids with us. Whoop, whoop. All right, better. Everybody needs to be made welcome. This is cool. This is totally a distraction for me now. So these are for kids, adults, Matt. Here, I'm going to give you one because Master Pat needs to pay attention too, so he's, that'll help him. Good. All right, Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2, listen up church, we're at the point in Revelation where we're now over the next seven weeks, there's going to be seven letters. I call this message, you've got mail. Does anybody even know what that means? Okay, I was going to play the sound, anybody remember AOL? Okay, and the sound, okay, a few of it, and, and I won't try to imitate it, but it's that very irritating, you know, sound, it's connecting, and then a little voice said, you've got mail. In fact, we, they made a movie about it. We have mail, not an email, but we have a message from someone. And so that's why we're calling this series in Revelation chapters 1 through 2 and 3, Listen Up Church, because God is speaking, has a message for us. Look at Revelation chapter 2 verse 1 and note something with me. When you write a letter or you write an email, not so much with a text, you tend to put what at the beginning? Dear blank, right? The recipient. And then you end your letter with, with and then you put your name, hopefully, right? None of these anonymous letters. Well, look at how it begins here. It starts with something familiar. Write to the angel of the church in Ephesus. So John is being told by the Spirit of God, here's the first letter, here's where it's to go, to a church, the Christians who were gathering in the city of Ephesus. But then right away, it'll unpack, and we'll do it in just a minute, it describes who is writing the letter. Instead of at the end, we're going to see that who is writing the message, who it is from, is will be at the beginning. But before we do that, a couple of things about Ephesus. We know that Paul visited the city on his second missionary journey. It's recorded in Acts 18. And then on his third missionary journey, recorded in Acts 19 he came and he spent about 2 years there and he used it as kind of his base of operation as we walk through these seven letters you'll notice if you have a map of the first century and i know you all do right you'll see that these these let these churches the order of them are kind of in a in a, what would make sense for somebody that was traveling around and passing on these messages it starts with ephesus on the coast it's a it's a major port city at the time and it was uh, it was a city that was dominated dominated by the worship of somebody other than God. Now Diana, to the Greek, um, Artemis, uh, the the Roman name, was the predominant temple, and it was it was central to everything that happened in this city. I, I don't know if we have anything. The Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco, that kind of you know people around the world, that kind is that iconic. Thing. I don't know if we really understand what it would be like to have something so predominant in your city that you, you couldn't do anything, go about your business, go to work, go to the store, go to your home. You couldn't do anything without having that constant reminder of this God that you were all to be, we were all to be worshiping. That was the climate. That was the spiritual climate in Ephesus. Paul wrote a letter to them. We know it as, this is not a trick question, Ephesians, Ephesians good, that makes sense, right? A letter to the church in Ephesus would be called the letter to the Ephesians. He wrote it about ten years after first um, getting there. Um, Timothy, you know Timothy, he was a pastor of this church. Isn't that cool? It's cool to think about. This is a real group of people, and there were real, real people pastoring it and serving it, just like today. No different. Two thousand years later, they probably the setting was probably a little different, but people were gathering, and Timothy was coming at this point when Paul wrote him and was. Teaching, preaching, leading the church in Ephesus. Paul's mentor or mentee. We know that John had a prominent role in this, this church as well. We know that he ministered there, and, and it's tradition, it's not in the Word of God, but it, 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 the tradition, the, the things that were recorded at the time, and I want to quote says this At a very old age, John, too feeble to walk, would be carried into the church's assembly, and he would spend time there admonishing the members as little children, to love one another. Does that sound familiar? He wrote that, didn't he, in one of his letters. And so at the, the time of this writing, John is not in Ephesus. He's on the island of Patmos. He's been banished there by the Caesar of the day. Um, he will be, the next Caesar will undo his banishment, and he will come back to the mainland, and he will finish his days um, in that way. The church seems to have died, as far as we can tell from historical records. The church seems to have died sometime during the second century. There's no more evidence that there were a group of believers. But then, in the the centuries after that, Ephesus became a, a, a center point for the councils of the Roman Church. When they would get together to talk, their leaders would get together to talk about very important things, doctrinal things. Ephesus became a common place for that to happen. This is a real city, and these are real people. In fact, they're more than just real people, they are specifically a group of people that have gathered together in the name of Jesus, and seeking to worship Him, grow in Him, and make disciples for Him. And so, Revelation 2 and 3 gives us seven letters to seven real churches at the time, and their message is not for just that church, but can we at least agree to maybe consider this, that they're for us today, they're for the church today. So church, listen up, because you've got mail. The one who holds, join me back in Revelation 2, write to the angel of the church in Ephesus, and here's the one that is the source of the message. The one who holds the seven stars. If you were here last week, you know what that means. If you weren't here last week, go on our website and listen to that, to uh, Pastor Matt's message. The one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, and who walks among the seven golden lampstands the gold lampstands lampstands says and here's his message you ready are you listening i know your works your labor and your endurance and that you cannot tolerate evil you have tested those who call themselves apostles and they're not and you have found them to be liars you also possess endurance and have tolerated many things because of my name, and you have not grown weary. Let me pause there for a minute. I want to unpack that a little bit, but I also want to talk just for a minute about the one who holds the seven stars and who is walking among us. I, I found this verse in Leviticus that made, made me reflect for a minute on the fact that and I think we talked about this recently, there are certain traits of God, characteristics and nature that we zoom in on. One of them that we kind of maybe don't so much is his immutability, that he doesn't change. He's always the same. And that's important because when I read something in what we know as the New Testament, after the cross, after the burial, after the resurrection, and, and God's heart, his mind, his, his relationship with us is revealed Is it legitimate to go back before the cross, back to what we know as the Old Testament and see if that same nature of God, that same heart of God is there and that maybe it's always been there because he doesn't change. So I found this in Leviticus. God is speaking and he says, I will place my residence among you and I will not reject you. I will walk among you and be your God and you will be my people. I am Yahweh your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, slavery to freedom, so that you would no longer be slaves. I broke the bars of your yoke, and I enabled you to live in freedom. Do you hear God's heart? Do you hear his heart towards broken people, sinful, broken people, us? It's always been his desire to walk among us, to be with us, to be close to us. If you're familiar with these words, maybe in Matthew 28, Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and he says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. I want you to teach them to observe, to obey everything that I've commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. That's who's writing. That's the context, if you will. If you want to filter To process the words that I already read, and we're going to go back to him now, this message that he has. If you want a filter to process these words, can I suggest put on that pair of glasses? The God who has always wanted, always been committed to walking among us, being with us, always wanted his creation to be near him. We are precious to him. That's who's speaking. Let me go back to what I already read in verse 2. He says, I know your works, I know your labor." I know your endurance and that you cannot tolerate, you cannot bear up. You just can't tolerate evil. And so as a result, you have tested, you've literally put on trial those who call themselves apostles. An apostle is a messenger. And there were apostles in Jesus' day that were personally commissioned by him. Remember them? Go and make disciples. He said that to his original 12, and they were to lead by example. And they spoke for him. They didn't have this. They had some had this section. Nobody had the whole thing. And so he said, go. And these messengers went out and spoke for Jesus. And he says, you, you have people in your midst that call themselves apostles. They claim to be sent by Jesus, but they're not. They don't speak for me. And you have found them. You have uncovered them. You have exposed them to, in fact, be liars. They're false. You also possess endurance or patience or patience. And you've tolerated, you've, same word as he used before, you, in this case, you have borne many things, you have carried many things because of my name, because of my name, because you have said that I am a follower of Jesus, I am a Christian, I am a little Christ, I reflect him, I am a disciple of Jesus. He is my master, and I serve him. I follow him, and I will live my life to make disciples for Jesus. And that brought persecution. That brought hardship. And yet he says, you have not grown weary. Now here, here's, I want to make a couple of points that hopefully can stick in our thinking and we can carry with us. And here's the first one in this message. Truth matters to God. The truth matters to God. There's only a few things that God hates. Do you realize God does hate things? The God of love hates certain things. He hates falsehood. He hates deception. Why? Because he knows the destruction of lies, of deception. He knows what that does. Remember Jesus saying, I am the way, the truth. Truth is God's character. It's his nature. There's no shadow of turning in him. There is no deception in him at all. He's pure truth. And truth matters to God. It not only matters to him and who he is and how he deals with us, but notice that this description here is that he it it matters to him that there is a, a recognition of a battle that's happening between truth and deception, truth and lies. It's a very personal battle between God Himself and with a creature, a created being called Satan, Lucifer, the devil, the great serpent. He has a lot of names. He was created by God. He was created with incredible beauty, appearance, and capacity. And his pride welled up in him. And he said, I can be God. And he rebelled against God. And he has been telling lies ever since. In fact, he's called the father of lies. When we first see him in, in the human experience in the Garden of Eden, what is he doing? He's lying. He's deceiving. Really? Are you sure that's what God said? Maybe. He's 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 deceiving. And there's this very personal battle that's going on. And guess who's on the front lines? Every one of us. Every one of us. And whether we know it or not, at this point in our life, many of us do know, but whether we know it or not, every one of us is chosen a side. There's no Switzerland in the battle for truth. Sorry, Swiss people. But there's no Switzerland. You know what I mean by that? There's no, I'm just going to remain neutral. I'm just going to kind of stay on the sidelines and see how this plays out. We cannot because we're on the front lines. We are on the battlefield. So truth just doesn't matter to God just because of who he is and his nature, but it matters to God because he acknowledges that we are in the midst, his creation, that which he loves, those who he loves are on the front lines. We are, in, we are on the battlefield for, for truth. Did you did you hear that in his words? He's acknowledging, isn't he? I know. It literally means I see your works. I see what you're doing. I see how you're living. I see your labor. I see your endurance and that you cannot tolerate evil. You have actively put these liars on trial and you've determined who is telling the truth and who isn't. And you possess endurance. You possess endurance. I acknowledge that, man. You've been patient. You have really endured in a difficult time in this battle for truth, <clears throat> and you have experienced. You have tolerated. You have experienced many things, painful things, because of my name, and you haven't given up. That's really what this word means. You. It means to. It, it. It means that you are so exhausted from work that you just come and you sit down and you go, "I'm done." Anybody ever do? I'm not doing another thing today. And then Becky says, "Well, wait." <laughs> No, no, I'm done. I'm not do- doing another thing. I am done. He says you haven't done that. There's gotta. I know. I see that there's moments in this battle for truth and your commitment to the truth that you've just wanted to go. I'm so exhausted. I'm so overwhelmed. I'm just done. I want to be done. And he says you haven't done that. You've continued to battle for the truth. See, the truth matters to God because of who he is. It matters to him because he knows the, the, the destruction of deception. And it matters to him because he knows that we are in the midst of a battle for truth on every level, every aspect of our experience, our culture, our society. Would you agree? It's, it's consumed our society. He knows all about the intensity of the battle. He knows, all, he knows exactly what he's asking of us. In fact, I love that in this text here, in verse 2, I see your works, I see your labor, and I see your endurance. Those are the exact same three words that Paul uses in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, where we as a church find our mission. That's where it's born, in Thessalonians 1. The same exact words, your work of faith, your labor of love, your endurance of hope. Jesus says, I I see that you are striving in this battle to live by faith, be known by love, and be a voice of hope in the midst of this battle. I know exactly. God says, I know exactly what I'm asking of you. I know exactly what the challenge is. Does that encourage you? It encourages me. Because there are days when I think, man. Man good grief if one more thing happens or if one one more crazy thought gets promoted or one more new idea or one more lie gets embraced by our society by the people in this world i don't know what i'm going to do look at look around look at the destruction that lies are bringing into our existence and jesus says I, I know i know that's what's going on i know that you're in the in the middle of it and i know that you're striving With my help to live by faith, be known by love, and be a voice of hope. He knows what it costs to stand for the truth. Does Jesus understand what it costs to stand for the truth? Does he? He certainly does. He gets us. He knows. Truth matters to God. I have so many verses I want to read this morning. This is just throughout the pages of our Bible. I'm going to try to edit maybe a little bit. 2 Corinthians, let's go to 2 Corinthians 11. Paul is writing about false teachers, those who are deceiving people in, in, in Corinth, the town of the city of Corinth, and he says such people are false prophets. They're deceitful workers. They're disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. Sound familiar? Right? That's what, that's what Jesus is saying to the church through, through Ephesus, through John. And no wonder this is happening because Satan disguises himself as an agent of light. So it is no great thing if his servants also, those who believe and follow and promote his lies, would do the same thing. Their destiny will be according to their works. Paul tells the Thessalonians in his first letter, chapter 5, don't despise prophecies, and uses the same word John does, test all things. And it literally means to have a trial with just the facts, a trial to determine the facts, determine what is true. That's what we're being asked to do aren't you? I am. Every day, every source of information, every conversation, everything that I encounter, I'm as a follower of Jesus. He's saying, don't quit, don't give up, keep in the battle. What is the battle? Test everything that you're reading and taking in and being exposed to. Is this the truth, or is it a lie? 1 John 4, dear friends, don't believe every spirit, don't believe every radio show or book or TV program or tweet or whatever, however it is that we're interacting with with information. Don't believe every voice, but test those voices. Test the spirits. Why does he use the word spirits here? Because it is a spiritual battle. It is a battle going on between who? God and Satan. It's very personal. It's personal to God. It should be personal to to us, and I know it is, because if you love Jesus, you have people in your life, maybe family members, that are being deceived by messages that are not true, and it's tearing your heart out. It's personal. Jesus says, truth matters to me. Watch yourselves. 2 John 8, watch yourselves so you don't lose what you've worked for, but that you may receive a full reward. Anyone who does not remain in Christ's teaching but goes beyond it does not have God. The one who remains in that teaching, this one, has both the father and the son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your home and don't say welcome to him, for the one who says welcome to him shares in his evil works. Boy, do we need to test every voice? He's had a long week. He's tired. We need to test every voice, yes? Because why? The truth matters to God. Moving on, verse 4, verse 4. But, again, who is speaking? No? He's writing it, You're, there you go. It, this is coming from the one who holds the lampstands and walks among us, right? John is his, his scribe. The Holy Spirit is speaking, Jesus is speaking, and he says this. He says, but I have this against you. There's something I need to address. You have abandoned, you have divorced, you have forsaken the love that you had at first—you've walked away from that love. So he says, "Remember then how far you have fallen." What does that mean? Go back to the beginning. When I was studying this, and my wife's here, I think she was, she's right there. Okay, she's always in the back row, but we added a row, so I'm so confused. I'm gonna get in trouble, and I'm, and honey, I'm gonna be very, very careful, very, very ambiguous. I went. I thought, well, what, what did that feel like? I got married, I stood right here, she came through here, that, that ceremony, that time, and then we went off and spent a week together. And what was that week like? And I reflected on sitting at the, the restaurant with her, sitting, we went to Carmel, we're sitting on the beach, and I was just like, oh my goodness, you know? It was like, I couldn't love her any more than I do. This is amazing! My whole life is gonna change just so I can love her. Now, am I that way today? Who said that? <laughs> For, for, my, yeah, for my safety, I better be. But can I be honest? I'm not. I have moments. I have moments, and that's what he's saying. Remember where you started. Remember what it was like when you fell in love with Jesus. And, and he's, he's not just talking about our love for God, but he's talking about our lo- the greatest commandment, love God and then love the person sitting next to you. The person three rows over. The per- and love people. Remember when when you realized what Jesus had done for you in this new creation. You've been redeemed. You were forgiven. Grace and mercy. And how life just had this whole new look. And now you're enduring. But man, we've been fighting for a long time. My wife and I will be married 40 years in July. Oh my goodness, 40 years. Oh, you know. I love her. I do. I really do. But oh my. Are you, are you. Jefferson, are you tracking with me? He says, come back. We talk about that word, tracking. He says, remember how far you've fallen. Repent. What does repent mean? It means to stop the direction you're going and turn around and go this direction. So if I'm, oh, I do love my wife, I do love my wife. He says, stop. Remember what it was like when you first fell in love and you made this commitment to each other. Yes, and now I go back and I live that way. Now it's, it's kind of silly and funny, but don't miss the, 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 the challenge that Jesus is saying to you and me. I love that you're in the battle and you're fighting and you're faithful, but it's not just truth that matters to God. I am the way, the truth and life. But you know what else matters to Him? Do you know what it is? It's, it's love, that's right. That's the second thought that I want you to keep in your head and take with you. Love matters to God. Love matters to God. In fact, the greatest thing you and I can do with our lives is love God and love what he loves. That's the greatest thing you can do with your life. Careers and jobs and houses and all the things that we do that's part of our experience and our existence and caring for needs and caring for each other, those have a place. But the most important thing from God's perspective that I can do with the breath that he gives me is love him and love what he loves. The good news, the gospel, is not the truth of my sin. It is the mystery of God's love for me. My sin is the truth. My being a sinful, hopeless person on my own, the wages of sin is death, and that's my destiny. That's the truth. But guys, that's not the good news. That's truth. The good news is that he loves me in spite of the truth that I'm deserving of death. For my sin. The good news is not the truth of my sin. It's the mystery of God's love. That's what should get us excited. That's what should stir the love in us. Let me read some verses. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These words that I'm giving you today are to be in your heart. Who is saying that? God is. Yahweh. This is the Israelites. Deuteronomy chapter 13. If a prophet or someone who who has dreams arises among you, guy up front, talking up on the stage, and proclaims a sign or wonder to you, and that sign or wonder he has promised you comes about. I perform a miracle. And then he says, let's follow other gods which you have not known. Let's worship them. Do not listen. Hold on a second. He just did a miracle. He just did a sign, and whoa, don't listen to him. If they are saying, we're going to worship somebody else, we're going to love someone else more than Jesus, Yahweh. Don't listen to his words, do that dreamer. For the Lord your God is testing you. He's testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul. Love matters to God. Our love for him more than anything else matters to him. In the New Testament, Jesus said it, didn't he? The, the teacher, or the young man, the wealthy man, the, I don't remember if it was the wealthy man, but the young man said, what's the greatest command? And he said to love, Jesus said to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. It's the greatest, and it's the most important command. Love God, and love what he loves. Okay, I'm gonna, if, if anybody here writing down any notes, just gonna throw that out, Okay. 1 John 3, 14 to 18. Write that down. We're not gonna, I'm not going to read it this morning. 1 John 3, 14 to 18. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47, and chapter 4, verses 32 to 35. The Acts text shows us what it looks like to love. They devoted themselves to, and this community is described. It's our focus this year. What does it look like? Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47, and Acts chapter 4, verses 32 to 35. It describes it. Listen to this in First Corinthians 13. You know these words. Some of you do. Paul says, If I speak human or angelic languages but don't have love, I'm just a sounding gong and a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, truth, and if I have all faith so that I can move a mountain but I don't have love, I'm simply nothing. And if I donate all my goods to feed the poor, and if I give my body in order to boast but do not have love, I gain nothing what is Paul saying? He's saying truth alone is not enough. Satan knows the truth. But what God does for us here, and it's all through the pages of Scripture, he connects love to truth. In other words, love is the motivation. Love is the reason why we fight for the truth, why we live in the truth, why we stand on the truth. Excuse me, so excited I'm spitting. Truth becomes the love becomes the foundation, the motivation to live in the truth when everyone around me feels like they're going a different direction. Love becomes the foundation for that. Paul says it's great to have these things, but if I just have truth and I'm I can do all these amazing amazing things, but I don't have love, I'm missing the point. Write this down. Matthew chapter 24, Jesus is speaking. Matthew 24, 10 to 14. And he's describing what's going to happen in the end times. And he says, Love will grow cold. And as a result of love for God growing cold, people will stop living for the truth. The reason we are abandoning the truth as a society, as a culture, is because we have grown cold in our love for God. It cannot happen in the church, it cannot happen in his disciples. It can't. Truth matters to God, love matters to God. We have to maintain, we have to stir the fire of that love. Jeremiah chapter 2, here's a picture that I was describing earlier with my, my bride. The word of the Lord comes to Jeremiah and says, Go to my people and say this, announce directly to them. This is what the Lord says. I remember the loyalty of your youth, your love as a bride. I remember when we were first married, when I first chose you. And I was your God, and you were my people. You were my bride, and you followed me in the wilderness, in a land. You followed me wherever I sent you. Your commitment to the truth was built on your love for me, your love. I'll never forget the look she had when we stood here. You know, I'm sure I had a look of fear, you know, like, ah, you know. But she had this look of like, like I could do no, like I was, you know, Whatever, you want to, find. I was, oh, I probably had a glow about me in her eyes. And that look, I'll never forget that, she doesn't have any more. But that day, when, no. <laughs> if she doesn't have it, it's my fault. Remember your love as a bride when that first, that, that, the, this love affair began, and how you obeyed me and followed me in the wilderness. And then he says, going back to our text in Revelation, if you don't, I'm going to remove your lampstand. Can I just briefly say that I think what he's conveying here is the light, the testimony of the church goes out when we lose our love for God and for what he loves. We can still demand, we can still proclaim the truth, we can keep. And truth matters to God, don't miss that. But if we don't repent and get back to our first love, our love for him, our light to this world is going to go out. The world that we live in doesn't care about the truth. They're looking for love. Not a false substitute for love, real, unconditional, God's love. They're looking for grace and mercy. It's what they need, whether we, because there's a time we didn't know it either. But they're looking for love. And I think the challenge here, the warning here, is if you don't repent and get back to your love for me, your light is gonna go out. I'm gonna remove the lampstand. Okay, my time is up. Verse 7, anyone, one last thought, anyone who has an ear should listen. Listen up, church. you got mail. Anyone, you've got email. Anyone who has an ear should listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. I will give the victor the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in God's paradise. Wow. What is he saying? Genesis chapter 3, well, here's the point. You matter to God. I want to make sure I say that. Truth matters to God. Love matters to God. And finally, you matter to God. To God. Just grab a hold of that. He says, listen up, I'm talking to you, and listen to what I have. Genesis chapter three, the Lord says, since man has become like one of us, remember they sinned, now they know good and evil, um, we, we, gotta take, we gotta get them out of the garden because there's a tree of life. See, we always talk about the tree of good and evil, the one they couldn't eat, but we don't always talk about the tree of life that they ate from every day. Why? Because God wanted them to live Forever. You see, you do matter to him. That was his heart. That was his intent. But then sin messed it all up. So what's he saying here? Revelation 22. John says, Then God showed me the river of living water and sparkling like crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the broad street of the city, our eternity. The tree of life was on both sides of the river, bearing twelve kinds of fruit, producing its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree are for healing of the nations, and there will no longer be any curse of sin. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city. His slaves will serve him. They will see his face. His name will be on their foreheads. Night no longer exists. The people will not need lamplight or sunlight because the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. We lost the tree of life, didn't we? But what is God's heart? To give it back to us. It's still there, it's still the plan. There's a day coming, it's gonna be there. Because you matter to God. So, wrapping this up. Truth matters to God. God. Church, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, stay in the fight, stay in the battle. It's hard. He knows. He gets it. He's with us. Love matters to him. Above all else, put on love. Love for him and love for what he loves, and that includes the people next to you. And even if you don't know the person next to you, he loves them, and so should you. So should I. And never forget that you matter to him. You matter to him. You were on his mind when he put that tree of life in the Garden of Eden and that was his intent for mankind and you are on his mind when he looks ahead and says, this is what I'm gonna do. This tree's gonna be there and if you put your faith in me and you trust in me, if you grab a hold of the truth and you live out this love following me, that's for you. That's for you and for me. Amen? Would you would you do something old-fashioned with me? Would you bow your heads and, and just allow me to lead us in a... In a a moment of prayer. Our worship team is going to come. We're going to watch a short video to help us prepare for what's next, and we're going to be led in a time of worship and response. Father, I don't... I have put my faith in the truth, and I believe it, but there are times that I struggle with the the love that you have for me. And I, I imagine there are others in this room, and those are hearing my voice, that it's hard, to, it's hard to live there. It's hard to live in that reality. You love us so much that you sent your son to die. And Jesus, you willingly gave your life because you love us. Father, our world is broken. Our world is in desperate need of the truth. Help us to engage the battle, help us to stand for, help us to speak, help us to take in the truth, help us to speak the truth, but help us to speak the truth in love. That the fragrance, the, 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 the aftertaste, the leftovers that we leave behind us would be your love. And help us to stand strong, to stand firm, to stand humbly but with confidence in the truth that you love us. Father, help us to hear what you have to say to us in this letter And as we move through these letters, God, we are opening ourselves up. We're ready to receive. We're listening. We acknowledge that you are writing a message to us. Help us to go from this place later, when we go from this place, that we will go and we will live it out. But right now, God, would you continue to speak to our hearts? Would you open up our eyes to see and our ears to hear what you have for us? In Jesus' name, amen.